This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 392 for Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Stephen is back. You can find him at Stephen ESC on all the social media that matters. That includes Twitch, where he plays Minecraft and I believe draws Big Salty Pond, right? That's that's your Sunday stream? Indeed, yes. Nice. How I've been meaning to ask you, how are the art streams going? They're going pretty well. I admittedly have moments of panic sometimes where I go, what am I going to draw? What am I going to draw? But ultimately, I decide on something and it's just the end of being nice and chill and just sometimes just character exploration and sketching. But people seem to enjoy it. So, Oh, nice. So you're not working on like a final comic. You're just kind of like drawing, going over some ideas and brainstorming and stuff. Exactly. I mean, I've got a children's book that I've been working on for embarrassing, an embarrassingly long time. So... um I basically started streaming drawing as a way to push myself to work on my drawing projects that I've let sit for too long. Nice. Yeah. I I miss having personal projects. I um when I was doing illustration and cartooning and trying to do well, I mean I still do that, but like when I was doing personal work and trying to make personal work a big part of my living, mm-hmm. uh I often found it difficult to start or find the time for big like world building projects. Like if you know you're building a, you're writing and drawing a a children's book, like you have to come up with characters and story and environments and locations and design themes and design, design language. And I used to, when I was working in animation, I used to design characters and like pitches for TV shows. So so you come up with a concept, a couple characters, maybe like a spaceship or something, you know, you come up with all the different things that you might need to kind of like hook a producer into buying into the show. Uh, nice. And it was always a lot of fun, right? It was just always a lot of fun to, to do that. I had two properties. One was called Warped, and it was about like a bunch of aliens on a spaceship that were scavenge, uh, uh, scavengers. They were like, it was about recycling. Like they were basically trying to clean up the galaxy one junk wreck at a time. <laughs> fun. Uh, and what was the other one? I think it was called, It was at first it was called The Halloweeners, but I changed it. I don't remember what I changed it to. I think it was called Ghoul School. And I mean, I'll confess it was a pretty hard rip off of Harry Potter, but instead of Wizard School, it was basically like, you know, Vampire, Werewolf, and Zombie School. Like that was the... the, 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 the idea that there's a bunch of middle schoolers and they're all going to this, you know, Transylvanian school, like middle school, to figure out how to be both teenagers and and their respective monsters um and that was a lot of fun to design but like i had no idea about the writing so that never right yeah it was just fun to have that stuff it was just fun to have like those themes you know like so you don't have to think too hard about what you're going to draw next you know you have this box that you have to work in exactly which is one of the reasons why i like big salty pond i mean every once in a while i think oh i should really try something else oh i should really you know, flex this other drawing muscle so I can kind of expand abilities a little bit. But I enjoy 
the style and I enjoy the fact that I get to visit these characters on a regular basis. Now, for me, the hardest thing about um, personal projects is it's sort of hard to justify taking the time to do them when they don't necessarily contribute a lot to income. So it's like time time spent towards something that will help you adult better or time spent towards something that you just enjoy to do. I mean, I know they're both important, but it's uh, it feels harder and harder to justify those personal projects sometimes. So by I guess that's all to say that by doing this drawing stream, at least it's pushing you know, my personal drawing projects forward slowly, but at least it's moving them. Yeah, I have that issue too with, as a professional illustrator, when you're doing personal work, that's also part of like, you know, is it going to be a print for your online store? Is it going to be a comic strip that you can then somehow get, you know, Patreon funding or an eventual book like I did with Starcross? Like if there's not an end game to it financially from a business perspective, the do art because you love it slash the art, entrepreneur in me they fight but yeah. hard like it's <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard thing and i think a lot of it comes from just being i don't want to say starving artist because it's a terrible stereotype but like in my early 20s you know after i left animation and was doing illustration on my own like it was hard like it was a lot of work to get by and so you're just constantly on that entrepreneurial grind like what's yeah. the next opportunity Am I wasting any time? Like if I'm drawing something that's personal and fun, I'm still working towards something that can be potentially sold or springboard into something else, you know? Um, and actually, you know, case in point, uh, Sam from Starcrossed, my online comic before it was taken down, um, he was a character that Peyton and I actually were going to write an animated short for. Uh, we came up with this idea of an alien. I think it was visiting earth and then a fly oh. got back on the starship and the right. rest of the rest of the animated cartoon it was basically warner Brothers style you know this alien trying to destroy this fly that's slowly driving him crazy in his spaceship and he's never had a fly on the spaceship before and he doesn't know what to do has all this technology yeah. and he can't kill a fly and and it was um <laughs> it was that character design that eventually morphed into sam there were some changes made um but eventually that's what that's what warped into into Sam because I liked the design of the character so much. And then when Peyton and I just decided we didn't have time, I think he might have had his son at that point where we decided maybe this isn't going to happen. Mm. Uh, and um, and at that point, I said like, "Look, do you mind if I use this character in this project?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure, that's fine." You know. And so we just you know never looked back. It would be, Sam became Sam for Starcrossed, and you know did that for nine years. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Actually, I I think you may have shown me the concept drawings, except some of the the sketches that went along with that. I don't think I knew the entire planned story for the animation, but it's this is sounding familiar. I think I've seen some of that. Uh, you probably drawings. have because uh, shameless self plug. The book is available at joelduggan.com, and the back of the book has got a where Starcrossed started. And there you go. It, it was a little behind the scenes and I scanned in and printed some of the concept art in the back of the book. That's exactly where I saw it. Thank yeah. Reminder. I can show you more if you want. I still have them somewhere. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I'm a digital definitely. pack, pack rat. I don't get rid of anything, <laughs> which is a problem, by the way. Don't be that. Don't be that person. <laughs> Delete files, people. You will save yourself a lot of grief down the road. A lot of grief down the road. Um, or if you're going to save them, at least make sure that your system is backed and up tidy so you know yep. where to find them yep and nope. backed up of course i'm i'm better with client work 
I can never decide how to organize my own artwork. Like, do I want mm. it by date? Do I want it separated by illustration and design? Do I want it just done by month? Like, what do I want to do? And um, ultimately, I think it's by style of work slash then year, month, etc. cetera. Uh, but client work, I can find a client piece from 2007 in about three minutes. Like, it's just, you know, it's on a hard nice. drive. As long as I know which hard drive it's on, it's a pretty easy find, which is great when clients return and you need to, like, take something from 2017 or 2016 and update it. And it just, it saves me a lot of time. But um, I wish I was that organized with my own work. I don't know why that doesn't spill over. It's a weird, cause I'm a pretty organized person in general, but yeah, it's, that's not something that has weaseled its way into my personal file system for my own stuff. I think it's cause I have so many interests, you know? Or one of those financial things where there's no financial incentive to stay organized. <laughs> <laughs> there's that too yeah, yeah there's that you too. need to go get that client file but do you need to go get that drawing in five seconds probably not well the last little while i've been dealing with mostly tech issues i want to say that i've had a better experience um but it feels like everything i've been touching lately has just been problematic so rather than going on a long rant <laughs> which I think I've gone on. I've done it in my discord. I'll save the, the Citadel cafe listeners as best I can. Um, but, uh, to save me, like what, have, what have you been up to the last, the last month? Um, I wish I could say a whole lot. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, trying to get back into the, the swing of exercising I had mm. a pretty good rhythm of it going last year before COVID hit. And then I think I mentioned before, I lost a pile of weight last year which is great but then just lost all the cardio i had built up before that so struggling to get back on to uh back into that habit but uh, my wife and i started using a a hit app one of those high intensity interval training i think it is right it's a, an app by a company called down dog so my wife used their yoga app and so you know downward dog position so um that's the name of the company but uh so far i'm really enjoying it we've we've done it a three or four times now. And aside from the, you know, the out of, sh out of shape pain you feel after having not done something for a while, it's uh, <laughs> really enjoying the experience. So, and, and the app is good. It's, it's, the interface is very clean. It's easy to get to the point where you, you know, from opening the app to actually moving is very quick and we can put it up on our television, which is fantastic as well. Nice. So it's, and, and I finally gotten over that point where I'm a, you know, feel like a grumpy or whiny old man complaining about the exercise to the point where my body now looks forward to it, which is, that's always a painful hump for me to get over. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm at that point now, but yeah. I have been a lazy sod since Christmas. <laughs> I basically about two weeks out from Christmas, I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I'm just, I'm not, this isn't happening that often. I'm too busy and I've got a lot of family stuff on the go, which is great. That's what Christmas Christmas is about. Uh, but I didn't get back in the swing after. So now I'm a solid six weeks off, which in some ways is probably, I probably needed to. Um, I was having some problems with a rotator cuff and while I was being gentle and paying attention to it, I was still working out pretty regularly and I just couldn't seem to shake it. And the last three weeks I've done absolutely nothing. Like I, I mean, I've done mm. stretching and I've gone for walks, but I've not done any lifting whatsoever. And it doesn't hurt as much. So I, oh, I, nice. I, yeah, I feel like what was really needed was like a solid three weeks of just like, this is going to suck because <laughs> when you do this, you have to watch what you eat. Um, exactly. But in hindsight, uh, I've actually been eating pretty well because, um, you know, after Christmas, not that I do anything. I don't do resolutions. I don't go on a New Year's diet, 
but I ate a lot of sweets and stuff over Christmas and I'm just, I just kind of like lost the craving. Like I just don't need dessert. Like I, I had oh, enough of so that. Lucky. I had enough of that over the holidays. Um, so yeah, I mean, I still, I crave dinner. Like, I mean, I still want good food and I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not eating like steamed broccoli and chicken every night. Like I had a hamburger tonight. So like, I'm still eating kind of like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but the sugar intake is really low because I'm just, I'm not craving big, you know, I don't want cookies all the time. I don't want, you know, Christmas cookies or snacks or chocolate. Like I just, that's not kind of where my brain is at because my brain was there for like a month (laughs) because I had like, you know, baked goods that were part of Christmas gifts that were in the freezer. So then they lasted a long time. And so that's all done. Um, thankfully knock on wood, um, knocking on my forehead for people that can't see, um, I'm actually the same weight now that I was before Christmas. So victory, like nice. even keel. <laughs> so that's good. I didn't check anywhere in the last couple of weeks. So there might've been like a, Oh, you were really high, but now you're back to normal, but I'm just going to call it a win across the board. <laughs> nice. I wish I could do the same though. But for me, it's, I've come to realize sugar is, if I were, you know, addicted, addicted to any one thing, it's love sweets. Can't. Mm almost can't get enough of them unfortunately and i mean that was my problem before i lost the weight it was all donuts <laughs> yeah that's and i will say like donuts yes cookies like homemade stuff pies and cookies 100 oh, yeah. percent. chocolate bar i'll pass like if i'm gonna if i'm really? gonna have those yeah if i'm gonna have that dessert it's gonna be not a store-bought thing unless it's like mm. a in-store bakery like we've got you know for here at atlantic canada the atlantic superstore has actually got a pretty decent bakery so if you want to get like a chocolate chip cookie or a pie or something like that they're actually good um but normally uh and this is another reason why i don't eat a lot is because i don't let myself buy them because i know how to make them uh and i just i'll make them at home and so if it's eight o'clock on a friday night and i want cookies i'm either too lazy to make them and I don't eat them. Awesome. <laughs> or, uh, it's a Saturday afternoon and it's like, yeah, you know what? I've got time to make cookies today. Let's do that. And then, so I have homemade cookies. That's the only way I let myself do it. Cause otherwise I would just have them all the time. That's um, smart. Yeah. But, and they're also just better for you because then you know what's going in them, you know? Um, and I find that that's better too. Uh, cause yeah, the weird thing have... is like, I'll, Sorry. I'll eat like two or three store-bought cookies or I'll eat two or three homemade cookies. My homemade cookies are half the size of a store-bought cookie, so, but I still eat two or three. <laughs> like it doesn't, but you know, they probably have half the number of ingredients in them as well. So you and ingredients you can pronounce entirely. So well, yeah, there's you that. Know, you know what's going into them. Yeah, no, there's there's that. Um, and, and I I I cook fairly simply. You know, like I just you know standard chocolate chip cookies. I have I have an ice box ice box cookie recipe that I'd like to um like to try because i usually get those at christmas and i didn't this year so that's going to be kind of like a fun winter winter treat um but like ice box yeah you know what i mean it's like a no it's like a it's not quite a shortbread it's like a cross between a shortbread and a brown sugar cookie and there's like little bits of cherry in it and it's usually rolled up and put in the ice box for half an hour and then you slice it so it's like a log that's been sliced they're round but they've got like a flat edge they have a very stiff edge to them yeah, um, that and, sounds familiar. Yeah, and and they can have all kinds of different things. Like icebox cookies are kind of like you put whatever you want in them, like kind of like whatever you had in the icebox. So people put cherries or walnuts or raisins, blah, uh, or, you know, <laughs> I, I like raisins, just not necessarily in cookies, at least not these cookies. Uh, you could put almonds on them. Like I've seen them decorated like 8,000 different ways. Um, nice. But I, I just like, I like them with the little candied cherries, like the red and the green cherries. Um so, so yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. 
Uh, and I have to marry that with returning to lifting because um, with the new Xbox Series X, my butt has been pretty married to the couch from <laughs> nine to midnight. Instead of watching Netflix, I've been doing a lot of exploration on that and trying to get the TV settings and all that kind of stuff. I've, um, I'll keep this short, but I am having trouble with the TCL and the motion smoothing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what I mean. Oh, but yes. The, the soap opera effect. Have you ever gone into a store yep. and been like, why does this TV look like it's a cheap camcorder? And uh, it's because of the motion smoothing that's built into TVs to kind of reduce stutter and uh, all that kind of stuff. It's not it's not terrible for things like sports uh, and it's great for video games. And it's one of the reasons why I bought the TV is because it has a very high response rate. Uh, so it takes the pixels less time to switch from one image to the next. Um, but as a result, um, it can have some stuttering when watching low frequent, low frame rate content. So things that are like 24 or 30 frames a second, like films, um, mm. will you'll show stuttering usually on slow pans. Like think like you're panning a scene of New York and the stuff close to the edge of the screen is going to like judder, like st a stutter yep. a little bit, not judder. Judder is a different thing, but stutter a little bit. And so I found through some online research, I can't tell you 100% that this is what's happening to my TV. But from what I can read from other people with the same model or last year's model is that the Roku app, so it's not the television. So on one hand, yay, it's not faulty hardware. Um, but on the other hand, it's Roku and there's no way to control if you update and, and how you update. So the latest um, software from Roku seems to be the, the culprit in that it will turn on motion smoothing for some of your content, but not tell you that it's done that. So when you go to check the menu, you're like, huh, this is weird. It looks like motion smoothing is on. And then you go to check and you're like, nope, it's off. And then you go mm -hmm. back and watch the content. And you're like, it really looks like it's on though. <laughs> and that seems to be the issue is that it's coming on and then you can't turn it off because the menu is saying that it's off already. And people are saying hard resets on the TV will work. People are saying that sometimes just resetting the settings will work. It's not a hard solution, but it's one of those things where like, but then I have to sign into all the apps again. Yeah. And and the only solution I can think of is to return the TV to factory settings and don't connect it to the internet. And that's fine because I can watch Netflix and Disney Plus and all that kind of stuff on the Xbox if I have to. It's just more convenient to have the apps immediately built into the TV. Um and I just don't want to have to sign into all those things over again because you have to punch in your you know, email and password and all that kind of stuff, which is, again, not the end of the world. But I do feel like I've paid enough for this TV that it should not change settings for me uh, behind the scenes. And well, would you be able to get away with using it and not use the Roku app? I mean, is if that's the culprit, is it something that you use significantly, or could you? So, Roku, it's it's a Roku TV. That Roku is the television oh, operating okay. system, right? So that's gotcha. that's that that's the rub. Which is, it was a selling feature, uh, but because of course I didn't know that this was a problem until, and it wasn't a problem until just the recent update, which I think was November. I can't remember when the a Roku app updated the thing. But I've been researching this TV since September, and I didn't notice any people complaining about it. Um, right. 
and even all the reviews, like all the reviews that I, that I read and watched online from people that professionally review TVs. They're like, this is a fantastic panel, but they really weren't saying much about Roku. They were just talking about the technology in the television, but right. they were using these settings and they were saying that this is what it is out of the box. It needs a little bit of a tweak. Here's how you tweak it. And so you change these settings and I did that and it looked great. And then some of those settings are coming back. But anyway, we'll see if I can sort out a problem. Or I mean, Roku may also send out an update that will fix it, but I'm not holding my breath. So I'm not exactly sure what the process is going to be. Now, that said, I don't necessarily use the television for Netflix a lot. I have been just because it's new, but really I'm probably going to be mostly playing video games on it, which is why I bought the specific TV. Um, but all that said, like it will be something that um, I will, f I will sort out a way to, to fix it uh, because what it does well, it does very well. Um, so it's, that's good. Yeah. I think it's only the 4k HDR stuff. The Dolby vision stuff seems to be okay. Um, it all depends on which, which film it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because it looks like it changes from scene to scene, which is inconsistent. And this is the thing that I'm still getting used to in that, because of the smart TV, as I mentioned last week on the show, it changes its settings based on the signal it's getting. It doesn't matter whether that signal is coming from Netflix, the Xbox, Prime Video, whatever. It says, oh, that's a standard definition show. We'll switch to your standard definition settings. It's like, and it's like, oh, this is a Dolby Digital movie that you're watching on nice. Disney Plus. We'll switch to that, which is great. But there's, cert there's a certain lack of control so when things start to go wrong, you're just like, no, <laughs> let, <laughs> let me control the thing. Uh, and I find sometimes the TV switches so quickly and it does give you a little notification in the top hand side, in top left hand corner or whatever saying like, Hey, we've switched to this thing. And sometimes it goes away so fast. You're like, I did, did you turn it on or off? I didn't see, mm. you know? So that kind of stuff is a little bit tricky. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just not been a great tech week because I had, I'm having some other issues with. Um, my PC again and the new microphone and just it's just it's this thing about working from home when you are your own IT department <laughs> and it's not what I went to school for like it's something that I've had to learn hard over 20 years of working from home and this that like when things go wrong like it it really is your whole day to try to fix stuff yeah and I I really dislike the loss of that time and that's been like my last week. I feel like every other day I'm losing half a day to like, why am I getting a frame stutter on my PC? And why is the new mic not sounding the way that I want? And how come the software that came with the mic can't see the bloody mic? Like it's just, it, mm -hmm. it was just endless. And one thing after another. Yeah. Small world problems or first world problems. Like it's just, it's, I mean, I'm healthy. Family's healthy. Like work is good. Podcasting good. Like everything is fine. <laughs> but all Yeah, this... but I know those days where it feels like everything you try to do throughout the day has some sort of friction attached to it. It just makes everything feels frustrating. So I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's been, that's kind of been my, my tech week. Now, now all that said, uh, the Xbox works like <laughs> a top, like, you know, for all the frustrations that I have with my gaming PC, something that's nice about consoles is that in general, you just kind of like turn them on and like you go, it is, yeah. you know, you don't have to think about it. And so that, that experience has been nice. And maybe in a way, one of the reasons why I've been spending so much time playing games is because it's just, 
it's just an, it it works. <laughs> it's the one thing right now or that's working working without like it's a frictionless experience. I guess is the best way to best way to yeah. say it. Yeah. Nice. Well, moving on into email this week, we have one from Obsidian Clad Fox, a cafe barista member of the Sizzle Cafe Patreon page, and the subject is Boy Scouts. Howdy, partners. I find it interesting that certain roles you see an actor in, possibly the first role you see them in, can shape your view of them from then on. It then makes it harder to fully embrace a different archetype or character role in the future. You often call certain people by Boy Scouts, such as Henry Cavill or Chris Evans. Since I got into the MCU much later than most people, my view of Chris Evans is very different. The first role I saw him in was in Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, where he played to be blunt, a massive douchebag. <laughs> uh, ever since then, all I see is a skater bro, uh, even though he's America's icon for so many other people. Keep up the excellent work. Always looking forward to the next episode. Obsidian clad Fox. Obsidian, thanks very much for the great email. Um, I have this problem. It's funny that you mentioned Henry Cavill, and I'll get into that in a second. But Stephen, do you have like actors that you've like typecast or typecast in your brain? Yes. And I think Chris Evans is probably one of them. But for me, I actually I saw him in in Scott Pilgrim first. But I think for me, it ends up being if I see an actor in like this massive iconic role that sort of solidifies them in that role for me, that's when I find it hard to to let it go. But for me, when I see people like um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who he was excellent and the first movie I saw him in, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. But then he was completely different in another movie. And then the completely moving, completely different in a movie after that. He just kept changing. So there was not really any way for me to pin any one character on him. But I guess for me, it's like, think of Chris Evans as Captain America or Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. It's just they did so well in those roles as well that... I think part of it is it's hard for me to imagine anyone else doing them. And they're such large, as I said, large iconic roles. They're just, that's them for me. I have a thing where, especially with social media, when characters that a actor plays are not too far off from how they are in real life, then it's hard to separate mm. that. So I've seen the charity work and the personality through a lot of interviews of Chris he Chris Evans. And I know from following uh, Henry Cavill on Instagram, the kind of person that he seems to be, you know, and it, he seems pretty legit. I mean, I know it's all social media, but this, if, you're, if we're all going to accept it at face value, he just seems like a really nice dude, you know? Yeah. The interviews that I've seen him in on talk shows and, and longer talk shows like the, the Graham Norton show where he's on the couch for an hour and he's interacting with other people, you know, like how he gives other people in the couch room to speak and is polite and like all this kind of stuff. I think it just speaks to, you know, his character, you know? And so I don't feel like Superman is that far off for Henry Cavill. <laughs> like it didn't seem like a stretch from a personality perspective, <laughs> right? And so I had that issue with Henry Cavill when I watched uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. I like him. He has a great screen presence. He was still a physical threat as the villain in that movie. Spoiler. Um, but he, <laughs> I just didn't, he didn't strike me as evil. Like I just looked at, oh, it's Henry Cavill playing an evil guy. You know, like I don't get sucked into it. Right. Um, whereas with 
Uh, I didn't get sucked into any of the other roles that Chris Evans have done because I haven't seen a lot of his work. I really enjoyed, I'm struggling to find the name of the movie. It was before he got into the Avengers. It was a movie that he directed uh, and starred in. Uh, and it was a sequel to, um, it was a sequel to a, a romantic film, but it was basically just like an overnight movie in New York City. Uh, hmm. Before We Go, maybe, I think it was what it was called. Um, but anyway, great, great uh, film. Yes, it was Before We Go. Great movie. Um, but he's, he's, he's still a likable character, but very different. Like, it's not Captain America. It's not Chris Evans. It's something else. And that's where I was like, okay, this is, like, he's got a more chops than just Captain America, right? And that came out in 2014, which was after the Avengers even. So the first Avenger had come out in 2011. So it was three years after all that. And Hmm. I haven't seen it yet, but I know that Knives Out, he plays an asshole. Like he's not a likable person in in Knives Out. But Knives Out is always, it's such a, from what I can tell from from the trailer, it's more of a caricature. Like it doesn't feel like a super serious movie. It's meant to be kind of over the top um, in a lot of ways. So... I, that's a separation there as well. Um, and it's also not always a bad thing. One of my favorite actors, Tom Hanks, doesn't change a whole lot from film to film, right? It doesn't, like he's in the Da Vinci Code and okay, Forrest Gump isn't an exception, but like in other movies right. that he's been in recently, um, it's he, it's he's putting himself in dramatic situations and he's acting in that way, but it's not like he's changing a lot of like, I don't get a lot about him. That's different. And yet I don't see Tom Hanks, you know, like when I watch these movies, I see, you know, the characters that he's playing in the films, not the actor. And then vice versa with Tom Cruise, it's just Tom Cruise and whatever he's doing next. Right. And I don't know whether that's more about the films, you know, having the the writing in some of Tom Hanks movies, having more substance and that's why I'm liking them better, more character development. Whereas like Mission Impossible films, like they're awesome and they're action packed and they're fun, but I don't really get a sense of any kind of character arc from, I can't remember what his name is in the films, but the Tom Cruise character in, in Nathan something, I think, um, in, in Mission Impossible. I don't, I don't see that transition, you know? Yeah. There's been a couple of roles of his though, like Interview with a Vampire. He was completely different in that. Mm-hmm. And then what was the, I forget. There was another one that was uh, just on the tip of my tongue, but he was quite good in that as well. But there, and, it, like, it's, you're right though. For the most part, he's the same. He's, he's Tom yeah. Cruise in a different situation, but then. And it doesn't, I don't want to sound like I'm overly critical of him because like, obviously he's incredibly successful. Uh, he, you know, produces a lot of the movies that he's in. Uh, and, and, in those roles, like, and in, in other roles, like, I mean, I love Top Gun, you know, and I love, um, was it Rain Man? It was a great film. I mean, both of them have heart, you know, and, and there's good mm-hmm. acting in it. I just don't find that the Tom Cruise washes away, you know? Right. Um, and, and I'm sure I'll have the same problem. Like the next thing that, that Chris Evans want, Chris Evans does, that's blockbuster-esque it's going to be hard to unsee him as Captain America for sure, you know? And I'm not saying that's bad because that, I mean, I'm going into that with 
a lot of fandom, you know, and, and being able to sort of mentally separate the characters, but like, I'm still gonna, if he's going to be a villain, like it's going to be hard to be, you know, believable in that way. Whereas like, I think there's other actors that can kind of skirt that line. Like um, Samuel L. Jackson can be a villain, but he's also, when he's a good guy, he's also kind of like a harsh good guy. (laughs) You know, like he's not, he's not necessarily lovable. You know, um, he's cool, but, but you don't yeah. want to like, it's, it's not, it's not the same vibe, you know, like uh, in, in a lot of ways, some of the lines that Captain America has in the Avengers, people want to pat him on the head. Like that's really cute, you know? yeah. but we're going to go do it this way. You know, whereas with, when, when Nick Fury is barking orders, it's just, you know, it's serious business all the time. He doesn't really joke around that much. And, and I, and I've seen him in films. I think he was the bad guy in. What was that M. Night Shyamalan movie? Um, Unbreakable? Glass? Yeah. Unbreakable, well, Glass yeah. was the other one. But yeah, Unbreakable was the first of the series. And he's great in that. You know, and, he, and, he's, and he's very different character, you know, for him. So like he's got, he's got depth too. Um, I'm just struggling right now to find other character, like other actors that are like typecast as villains. And I would probably know them to see them, but like I don't know their names, which is horrible because it's probably the guy that's been villains in a lot of the movies that you've seen him in, you know, Mm, insert like Eastern European guy here. That's like in every other bond film, (laughs) you know, like that kind of archetype. Right. Well, what's his name? Mickey, Mickey Rourke. I don't know if he's a villain in a lot of things, but he plays, he's unlikable in everything. Harsh character. That's yeah, exactly. He's the unlikable character in almost everything that I've seen him in. So, yeah. Although I will say it was hard to watch, but the wrestler was a good film. I'm hmm. not sure if you saw that, but it's, it's, no. um, it's, it's not a feel good movie. Fair warning for folks, but he was good in that. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, he's kind of uncomfortable as a human. And so right. <laughs> bringing that kind of like mental instability and, and, and fear of failure and like all the stuff that he brought to the role, plus the writing and the role and the grittiness of the film really kind of hammered that home uh interesting but yeah it's not an easy not an easy watch um i'm just i'm struggling to think of other characters but yeah there, there's definitely some some typecasts like we'll take a look at like one of the biggest typecasts ever arnold schwarzenegger like i yeah. still like his films <laughs> like i grew up with them i'm not saying they're oscar worthy i'm not even saying they're good i like them but i have a hard time and i did have a hard time um seeing him transition into other stuff i mean he did it successfully um kindergarten cop was funny i was just going to say that one yeah you know um i surprisingly liked was it jingle all the way where he played was it that was that one i can't remember the name he was in a christmas movie and it was actually really good um and i liked true lies it was a good action film but it had a lot of comedy in it too it's funny though but you could point to almost any of the action heroes from like the 80s and kind of pigeonhole them in exactly the same thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's hard Schwarzenegger. It's hard to see them in any other type of role. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like some, some do comedy well and others do like other roles. Like I me, mean, Stallone writes, like he writes and directs stuff and, and produces stuff. And um, yeah, I, it's, it's hard when you think about the, like that action genre. And I wonder if that's because it's just, it's less of a, I don't want to say less of an acting role because they're still all able to act circles around me, but it it is a strange 
it's a strange it's more of a physical yeah it's like a presence presence. yeah and um yeah delivering on the physical requirements than it is delivering on an emotional performance kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah but then you get some people like uh dwayne johnson who he i mean he fulfills the action hero right role to a t but he's he's very charismatic like Mm -hmm. personality wise he's like i remember my sons when they were young they were even just what one of them say is like he has he's a really nice way about him like he just he he comes across as a super friendly hugely muscular guy (laughs) i i i have to confess that i like his movies less than i like him like I, I, I really enjoy following him on Instagram and seeing the cool stuff that he does with his celebrity, like the kindness and the mm. charity and, and the encouragement and all the stuff that he does for people. Um, and, and how he conducts like his business and his life and stuff. And he's incredibly successful and his movies are kind of like this, like made for everyone. And so yeah, they're, they're, they're good at everything, but not, they don't excel in everything at the same time they're and, nice guy action movies so yeah yeah it's um almost like he's the the family friendly action hero kind of yeah 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 because you can take the family to go see jumanji right and still and of everybody's course. gonna have a good time and i think it's great and i love the first jumanji i didn't go see the second but i i can't remember whether it came out during COVID or whether it was after or like or before either way i missed the opportunity to go see it but i did really enjoy the first one I think it just came out on Netflix. Actually, we watched it a little while ago. I can't remember which streaming service it's on, but we uh, we enjoyed it. It's you know, it's not one of those amazing films that you'll remember for years, but it was a good time. I'm curious to see him play Black Adam because that's kind of like an anti-hero mm. sort of situation. And if he can do that without the camp, because like the campy eyebrow raise that works in Jumanji, like that's fine. You're in a film with Jack Black, kind of anything yeah. goes. Uh, <laughs> Who, who's playing a woman, you know, <laughs> you know like exactly just, like that kind of stuff is, 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 is feasible. But when you get into a serious, like DC, you know, like villain arc for, for Dwayne Johnson, like I'm curious to see how that, how that rolls. Um, speaking of DC, before we move on, uh, I found out today that the Snyder cut of justice league comes out on March 18th on hmm. HBO and HBO Max, I guess. So right. in Canada, I guess that would mean like a Crave and an HBO subscription. I just canceled mine. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll be returning to it for the the Snyder Cut. I think I might wait to see what people say. But um, I am curious to see it. I just don't know if I'm, it's worth the the full month sub for just that. Um, and, then the, and then the Max on top of that, wouldn't it be? Uh, no, HBO Max in the States is different in Canada. I think you can just get both on crave it's the combo is a 20 is a 20 dollars sub it's nine dollars for crave and nine dollars or ten dollars for crave ten dollars for um for hbo and i think that's separate in the states because of some other licensing thing with hulu i don't remember but but in canada bell and crave have got like a that's they've got the full um stranglehold on on hbo so that's the only place to legitimately stream things like westworld and at the time game of thrones when you could do it and stuff like that so um but yeah i'm i'm curious about that but i'm curious if the vibe from that film like what dc has set up already is going to carry over into black adam or whether having the star power that he does 
uh, if if Dwayne Johnson can bring some levity into the DC world, not necessarily for that character, but maybe for the movie. You know, like maybe hmm. he's not the funny one, but if if there's some joke somewhere, you know, in in um in a DC film, then that would be that would be good too. Um, I'm just thinking, uh, I just uh, of another character that was typecast as I would say, kind of like a brooding villain until things changed and that was hugo weaving for the longest time was mr anderson in the matrix trilogy and then he was elrond (laughs) in the lord of the rings and i mean (laughs) among many other roles but elrond while like having that stern sort of presence is a good guy and you definitely believe that he has hope for mankind in that movie Mm -hmm. and mr anderson is the exact opposite (laughs) You know, so, so there are those characters that exist, right? It's funny that you say that because every time, every time he appears on the screen (laughs) for the first time in Lord of the Rings, my wife and I both go, Mr. Anderson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's, it's because of the way he speaks. I think it's because of his, his delivery is, is similar across, across films. I'd say. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like a bit different in the matrix, but just. Because Elrond have to, has to speak so matter-of-factly. Uh, and I think that like computer programs and elves also don't speak with contractions. Like they don't say can't or won't. They say cannot and will not. You know, like that kind of stuff. Which makes hmm. them stand out too. But anyway, yeah. moving on into what we have been watching, which is probably going to be the meat of the episode because both Stephen and I have caught up on WandaVision. And uh, we will be mm-hmm. talking about episodes one, two, three, and four in detail. If you have not watched them <laughs> and you're worried about spoilers. And FYI, I can't talk about these without spoiling them. So if you're curious about them, I would encourage you to go watch them um, and, and then come back to this section. But I just, I wanted to let people know because it is a brand new show. It's week to week. And if you haven't quite caught up, um, then um, I, I wouldn't want to spoil anything for you. Um, but to the encouragement uh, received from Brockett, uh, who said by the end of episode three, it'll get better. And Brockett was right. Uh, also, I believe you said that you were all caught up the last time we spoke. And then I had to go mm-hmm. watch like the last half of the second episode and then three and four, which I did the other day. And yeah. I will say that um, I think they should have done and could have done better in episodes one and two. To, to give you a little bit more to keep you interested. Cause I True. got, I, th- I got bored. Like I got bored halfway second episode. I just forgot that I was watching it and didn't turn it back on. <laughs> so that says something, but now that I'm at the end of the four episodes, I'm looking forward to seeing what's happened next. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can appreciate the level of detail and what they were trying to do, but I feel like they could have, baited the hook a little bit better in the first couple of episodes. What do you think? Um, I think we, I guess we enjoyed them as individual episodes as well, because for us, we were laughing at, oh my goodness, they are nailing this fifties vibe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even the little scrunchy face that Wanda would do every time she would say something in the kitchen and, and you know, how she would kind of lean to the side with her hands together in front. Like a lot of it was just so bang on for the ways those shows were done. So I'll agree with you. It didn't really move, you know, the greater storyline forward very quickly, but we, we fully enjoyed what each episode was on its own. But I think that's probably why they released 
episode one and two together because there wasn't really anything that hinted something was amiss in episode one, except for when um, Vision's boss was over and choking. Right. And they repeated, you know, repeated over and over again, stop it, stop it. And it's the mother from that 70s show mm-hmm. who's saying stop it and over and over again. And so it's, it seems comedic at first, then it gets kind of creepy. Yeah. Then they break out of that 50s story vibe that's going on and it becomes this very gets surreal in terms of the storyline and uncomfortable so that's the only hint that something was amiss during the show and then you know as the credits started to roll then you could see that someone was watching from the outside those are the only two clues that something was yeah something weird was going on so i I feel like the almost i actually went back and listened to the podcast uh where you're talking to brockett so when he he said that um, streaming companies or or platforms are releasing two episodes right away. I didn't know that they were doing that, but I, I feel like that was I a good call in this sense. Yeah, I don't know if they all are, but Disney Plus is for that particular show. Yeah, and I think it was a good call in this sense because neither one nor two, you know, as you know, revealed a whole lot, but episode two revealed more. So I think they did a good... did good by them. Well, I think they did a good thing by releasing two of them at the same time, because then by the, you know, the end of the 40 minutes of viewing or whatever, you now know, you know, things are really off. This isn't this perfect little fifties slash sixties world as, you know, as every episode has progressed further into the future TV, TV style wise. I think they, they did the TV nod well, Mm-hmm. To the point where it made me uncomfortable. Like just like the the things that the women would say, you know, about the husbands oh, yeah. and the jobs and like the homemaking. And I mean, some of it was campy, but uh, other things, it wasn't like the stuff that Wanda was saying was like very much with a wink and a nod sort of deal. Cause that's, that yeah. was, cause that was the way that they queued up jokes, right? Like you had to turn your, you had to kind of like raise your voice and make a funny statement. And then that's the cue for everybody to laugh. But it was the secondary characters, like the things the neighbor would say. Um, I can't remember her name right now, but um, Rachel or something. And and just the diff- the different things about the way the pe- way that people worked, um, the assumptions, uh, the when are you starting a family questions from the boss's wife? You know, like all the, the 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 third degree that they got at the table, right? Was like the well, this is all well and good, but when is when is the real important work of starting a family going to happen? Forgetting the fact that like maybe people don't want kids. Like there's just there's it was such a a stereotype, you know, for that that time frame. And things like the doctor would say, um, you know, they they talk about the size of the baby, comparing it to, right, a fruit, so that it's easier for the women to get it. You know, just like these these super stereotypical and just um, misogynistic comments. Just, I agree. I agree. They left me uncomfortable, but at the same time, every time one of those happened, my wife and I would look at our boys and go, yep, men were jerks back then. So I, I, there was something about it that I enjoyed from like a parenting lesson perspective. Mm. Did, did that need some explaining to, like, were they confused by that out of curiosity? Well, I, you kind of every once in a while I look over at a point like that and, and it's they're smart enough now because we've explained things in other shows before and they're they're old enough now but every once in a while a, a character says something and you just kind of go take a quick peek and you see it looks a little bit uneasy on their face 
uh, you know, the, or sorry, the look is a little uneasy on their face, and you go, yeah, that's that's kind of the way people spoke back then. And uh, for reference, that's not okay. And they go, we 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 realize that's not okay. Fantastic, my job here is done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just that quick check in. Yeah, because yeah. I, I had to like do some math and refresh my mind because my grandparents would have, you know, loved things like, you know, I dream of genie and, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show and stuff like that. And they would have been on reruns on some channel at some point. So Mm -hmm. I have memories of being sick in bed, uh, being babysat by my grandmother, probably under the age of seven. Uh, and bewitched was on like, and I'm, I remember watching going like, all right, this is kind of a fun show. She does magic stuff. I didn't really care about the hokey special effects and, what was going on in the household, despite the fact that this was in the eighties that I was watching this on TV, but it, it, I have to remind myself that the fifties were 70 years ago. Holy smokes. Right. That, that 50 years ago was the seventies. Right. Uh, and, and so stuff like that was, was kind of like, wow, this really feels ass backwards. But then I was just reminding mm-hmm. myself, no, this is 70 years ago. And I found myself uncomfortable, even though I know it's a period piece and I know that it's all supposed to be like mimicking and tongue in cheek. And like, I get that. And I'm still uncomfortable with the thing that the doctor said about making the size of a baby easy for a woman to understand. Like, I was yeah. like, oh my God, like I could feel my toes curl when he said that. I was just like, oh boy, not good. Um, no. Which I think is a, it's probably a good reaction to have, right? Exactly. Well, there you uh, go. Exactly. You know, um, what I like about WandaVision now, uh, compared to what how slow it was at the start, is that they finally broke the fourth wall and they give you an idea of what's happening from the outside in. You still don't know for sure. You're mm-hmm. still trying to piece things together. But I loved the addition of the SWORD um, organization and the FBI agent Jimmy Woo. Uh, played by Randall Park and Darcy yeah. Lewis from the Thor movies, uh, who uh, played by Kat Dennings. Um, and I, I like their dynamic. I like that it's a bunch of really smart people in a, in a military tech house going like, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like your guess is as good as mine. And they discovered that there's radiation and radio waves emanating from this town that has basically been disappeared slash protected by a giant force field. And when they hook those ra- those ra- those waves up to an old TV, then they get the WandaVision show, which is what we've been watching for the first two episodes of the season. And I like the callback in time too, because in I think it was episode three or four, you get to see Darcy watching the show, and it's her hand that you're watching that you're seeing. I think. In that's episode, episode one, one. Actually. that was that was the yeah exactly no but yeah that's episode one but they show you that shot again in episode four in context right and it's darcy's hand watching the tv um because I, I at first i thought it might have been some weird hydra thing because during the television show there's commercials mm-hmm. which are obviously fake and the commercials are all these names that the the Marvel nerds are really going to know, and I don't. I mean, I know Hydra, but there's like some doctor's names that are dropped. There's a couple of character names that are dropped too. But there's like a watch, and it's got like a Hydra symbol in the middle of it. I'm just like, this is weird. Like, yeah. So things like that did kind of have me wondering, like, how are they really going to explain what's going on? And like I mentioned uh, on the last episode when I was talking about with Brockett, 
I was at first I thought, well, maybe they're kind of trying to give the audience an idea of like what happens when you're snapped away into out of existence. But hmm. somewhere around the end of episode three, my thought process, I think it was because Wanda had a moment where she snapped out of it briefly. Right. I don't remember. So episode three and four kind of blend together. When did she have the babies? Um, episode three. And it was when Monica Rambeau and this is where I'm awful. I forget what her character. I forget who Monica Rambeau was playing inside. Oh, yeah. The, Wanda's world. The sub character. I don't remember either. It was like exactly. a neighbor or a townsperson or a new girl in town. I don't, yeah, I don't. It's not It's inconsequential. I don't think. Exactly. But it was when they were looking at the twins and um wanda said that she was a twin and then monica said right your brother was killed by um ultron ultron right wasn't he and then she said what did you say and then it's almost like she had this moment where i don't know if she was trying to back out of the conversation or if suddenly that memory left her again and she wasn't sure what to say at that point because she couldn't remember what she said but it was it was at that point that things you could tell things were I guess it gave it a bit more context as to when this was happening. Right. And when that happened and I realized in a strange way, like Wanda was able to sort of snap out of it. Whereas when vision is confused, when the neighbors are kind of like dropping hints about things, about things not being right, about this woman not having a home and she's new to town and we don't know who she is. This is the person that, um, Monica Rambo is in this imaginary world and he doesn't break his sitcom character so much. Like you can almost look at it like Correct. layer, like there's layers of an onion, right? There's, there's the fake vision in the sitcom where he has to put on a human face. Then there's the, the quote unquote real vision in the sitcom that is, you know, an AI construct that has a, you know, infinity stone in his forehead and is bright red and is in love <clears> with <throat> Wanda who does magic. Right. But then there's vision that we all know in like real life who's dead. <laughs> right. And what cued me was the fact that when vision got confused, it was the character vision being confused. Whereas with Wanda, she goes from being the character of Wanda being confused to modern Wanda. Like she talks and speaks like she does in the Avengers films. Right. Right. Whereas vision still talks like he's in a 50s sitcom. He's just confused. Right. He just like, why are you like what? I don't understand. So it's this weird sort of idea where I think, and I could be wrong. I feel like I'm on the right track that this is post-traumatic stress in a superhero. Like, I feel like Wanda has been returned from the snap because that's what Monica Rambeau has been, right? We're getting a, a peek into what right. it's like when all these people come back, which is brilliant because we don't know, right? It just, in in the in Endgame, all the Avengers come back, yay, but you forget that half the planet comes back too. And, and so they addressed it a little bit in Spider-Man, uh, not Homecoming, what was the one where he went to Europe? Far From Home? Yes. So Far From Home, they address it a little bit with some of the high school kids that were 
juniors now now are still juniors, but the seniors are now their their classmates from a few years ago. Right. So stuff like that is um is interesting in that movie. And this is gonna be really cool because like you're talking about Monica Rambeau having to get all of her clearance brought back because she's gone. She missed her mother dying. Right. Like her, the last thing she remembered was sitting by her mother's bedside in a cancer ward five years ago and that the cancer had, you know, they beat the cancer, but then she snapped and she's disappeared and her mother has passed away in that timeframe, in that five year timeframe. So I both love and sort of hate that because I, I guess, okay, I guess to start off, I love how they started the episode and introduced Monica Rambo in episode four, because, mm-hmm. and as you said, it was after the snap, but it was, it was literally after Hulk's snap. That's the beginning of the episode. I actually, we, I went back and watched that chunk of the Avengers from Hulk's snap on to try to get a sense of exactly when this stuff took place. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I forget exactly, but it was like a two hours, one minute and something seconds Hulk snaps his fingers and so that's when Monica comes back. And so far, they hadn't actually shown somebody de-Thanosing, for lack of a better way to say it. You know, when he snapped his Thanos snapped his fingers, you saw everybody disappear in a dust. But they never actually showed anyone de-dust because it was literally sh- like they reappeared bit by bit, like flakes of dust coming back together the same way they disappeared. Yeah. So it was very cool. And 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 kudos to them for not having shown that anywhere else before so that they could do this. And I didn't know what was happening when it was happening right, right away until all the, I I think I wished I'd like to say I was smarter than that, (laughs) but I didn't clue in until one of the doctors said something to the effect that there are too many people. We don't have enough staff because basically all of the patients that disappeared in beds would literally come back to the bed that they were in or they would have come back to the same spot they were and perhaps fell on the floor where there's no longer a bed or something like that so it comes back and it's very intense very quickly so i loved that what i kind of hated is that monica rambo's mother maria rambo is now just relegated to a mother who passed away when she was a cool character she was a badass in captain marvel and that's unfortunately that's all she's going to be in now like I, I was actually, I thought she was cool. And then when Captain Marvel comes back later, I was wondering how they were going to then sort of roll her character into the, potentially into the greater MCU. But it's just, she ended up becoming, you know, a, a footnote to this cool new younger character, Monica Rambo. It's just, so I, I felt that was really too bad. But I mean, the way Monica came in was super cool. I don't remember exactly. I want to say that Captain Marvel 2 is also a prequel. I could be wrong. Okay. I want to say that they do it in like the 90s or early 2000s or something. Um, and that Monica Rambeau might be in that. Because I like their dynamic. I like um, yeah. um, Brie Larson. And again, I can't remember the actor's name that played Rambo, But I like their best buddy dynamic. You know, and I liked Rambo's like hesitant acceptance of like, holy crap, you're alive and okay, you can fly. But like, okay, I'm in the military. I have to roll with this. You know, like I, that kind of resilience <laughs> and like, you know, um, accept the current situation and move forward sort of deal. I like that yeah. because it, it made the Kona superhero stuff easier to swallow. You know, um, I'm okay with it being 
Monica because well one you also saw a really good relationship between Captain Marvel and Monica in the Captain Marvel movie because uh, she gives her her jacket right and oh totally yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of love there too and I I don't necessarily want to see that actor brought back with like old makeup or like old special effects because yeah. she'd have to be in her 60s I think and if that uh, no, maybe not her 60s, but she'd be older than the actor currently is, right? Right. Uh, similar to how they had to de-age Sam Jackson to be in Captain Marvel, right? Uh, and so I'm glad they didn't go that route. And I'm also glad that they've maintained, despite the fact that this character would have been out of the loop in the timeline, uh, I'm glad that they brought her daughter for because it gives us a, a really strong female black protagonist for the show, exactly. which is great. Uh, and she's also a fantastic actor. Uh, she's um, Tiona Paris. Uh, I really like her screen presence. Like she's just it. I had no idea that she was not part of the sitcom until she was thrown out of it. Right. Like a, a, until I saw her go th- like they, they did some sort of like tease at the end of episode three where they showed her on the lawn. You didn't know how she got there, but she got she got picked up by a bunch of um, FBI agents and stuff and sword agents. And and I was just kind of like, oh, what's going like what's going on? Did she just get out? And then I, mm-hmm. I didn't really know at first until they showed I didn't clue in at all uh, until she went in i was like oh that's where she came from because you know she's got a modern hairstyle she talks like a modern woman like there's all these different things that the actors do so well in those throwback sort of situations um it reminded me a lot of um gilmore girls and the the characters in the town in stars Hmm. hollow that are kind of like caricatures of like small town matriarchs and patriarchs and stuff um and so to see uh, Teona Paris playing Rambo in the modern sort of sense from the outside looking in, it was re- it was really really cool. Um, so this and this is where my interest in the show is like okay now now I want to know what's no. going on. <laughs> and to your point, what's what's sticking in my mind now is like so you're telling me that from the moment that. Um, that the Hulk snaps his fingers, right? Like that's when right. Monica Rambeau comes in. Do we know how long it's been from her coming back in the snap to now? So, yeah, I went back. I just went, <laughs> I wanted to have this to talk about in our podcast. So I went back and I checked. So first off, the Hulk snapped his fingers. And between, I want to say 12 to 13 minutes later, that's when everyone joined back in the fight with right. Captain America against Thanos. And so if you think back 12 minutes after almost 12 to 15 minutes after vision was killed is when Wanda comes back in and starts fighting Thanos. So when she says, you took everything from me, it just happened to her. So it's, it's five years later for everyone else, but that literally happened to her about 15 to 20 minutes prior to her, going toe-to-toe with Thanos. Mm-hmm. So then there's, there's they don't really give an indication about how much time is between the battle with, battle with Thanos and Tony Stark's um, funeral. 
But what they did give away timeline-wise is when uh, Monica Rambo went back to S.W.O.R.D. for the first time since reappearing. Um, she was trying to use her pass card and it didn't work. And then the director showed up and he goes, yep, three weeks after everyone appears, you know, the first one, first one to show up. Why right. am I not surprised? So then right. suddenly that pegs, mm. WandaVision is taking place pretty much three weeks after Hulk snapped his fingers. Right. And not that it gives a precise timeline, but at the funeral for Tony Stark, mm-hmm. Hulk is still in a sling. He's still, right. he's still only using one arm. So fresh-ish wound, you know, still yeah. injured. Um, but yeah, so so it is a it is a post endgame timeline, not a in between endgame timeline. Uh, yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. And so I I think that um, this is what happens when post traumatic stress, the loss of a loved one, happens, and a psychotic break happens in someone that has these abilities. <laughs> uh they they've done this before in um in marvel uh logan the 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 one of the main plot devices in logan is that uh professor x is is slowly losing his mind and as one of the most oh, right. powerful mutants on the planet uh when he basically has these attacks or aneurysms or whatever it is he kills people uh and a lot of them without any like control of it uh, and so when superpowers come from mind control, telepathy, telekinesis, uh, or whatever it is that the Scarlet Witch can do, um, because her powers come from the mind stone. Uh, I don't know what that means when they have to happen to have a psychotic break, you know, and I don't mean that in a permanent way. I mean, like when they have a breakdown and they're an emotional vulnerable state and everything mm-hmm. is running on high octane because you can see that moment um you start you start to see it when darcy sees the skips like the blips in the in the tv show and it's right. basically things going off the rails and then wanda saying like no 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 no, this is not my perfect little world that i'm gonna hide in this is not my perfect little bubble and just kind of like wiggles her nose and like let's just fix that and then it never yeah. happened right let's just forget about it that reminded me of my life. And there is a pretty traumatic um, flashback when Vision comes in and he's like gray dead Vision with a hole in his, his head. Yeah. You know, where Thanos ripped the stone out. And so that kind of thing um, really kind of makes me feel like this is all, we'll say, in Wanda's head. But because of her powers, it's being projected <laughs> across this town in, in New Jersey. Uh, which is interesting because that means that Wanda's kind of the villain in a way, hmm. right? Because you don't want you don't want anybody to get hurt because these are apparently real people that are being brainwashed and controlled and like this is the most powerful we have ever seen the Scarlet Witch. And this is where my comic knowledge falls apart because there's probably people out there that are very familiar with the Scarlet Witch, you know, comics and an arc for that character and, and just like, oh, you know, you don't understand where this could possibly go. And I don't. I've only just seen, I'm only familiar with the characters as, as far as the MCU is concerned. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to see just how powerful she is in terms of all of this stuff. And I knew that she could do mind control, but she, she didn't do it anymore, right? That no. was one of the things when she turned to the Avengers that she didn't really do it much, right? It was more the physical yeah, she, stuff. Yeah, she's doing like 
reality bendy stuff right now. Yeah. Like, being, like we, we get to, like you said, we, we saw the blips where she said no. And then there's a rewind. So we get to see the rewind because we're there with Wanda. But in terms of the broadcast that Darcy was seeing, it just skips forward. So it's almost like her saying no, just completely rewrote reality mm-hmm. and, and took that segment of time out. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see. I've, re- I've read some things online that sort of speculate that, you know, she is. Well, not just speculation, but I mean, even from the folks that. Um, at Marvel, that she, she's just either got the potential to be or is like one of the most powerful characters. In the crew. So I'm I really don't know much about what her potential is supposed to be, but I'm very curious, especially with these, these advancements here. I feel like, um, the Scarlet, Witch kind of has like the captain Marvel status. Like she's the big gun, mm. not necessarily the leader, but like definitely the one, some of the big, the big muscle on Avengers. Cause Avengers has, has been a rotating team for a long time. I don't know all the members, but like, Basically, at some point in time, almost everyone that's worth their weight and snot in the, <laughs> the Marvel Universe has been an Avenger, right? And so um, I'd be curious to see to see like what role she would have. Because like, when you think about it, you think, you know, Cap calling the shots. You got the speed and the agility and the, and the tactical stuff from Iron Man. Hulk is the muscle. Thor is the muscle, but then also has a lot of powers and other things that he can do. Uh, and then you've got all the on the ground tactics with like um, Captain America. Um, um, well, I'm blanking um, Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye, mm. you know, so like it's it's interesting to see to think about that dynamic with the Scarlet Witch being so powerful. And I it's it's neat, too, that we're getting to see some cool special effects. We're getting to see some cool powers and it still has that sci fi vibe to it, but it's not action like she's not fighting bad guys. You know, right. She's just kind of, it's just sort of happening. And I have to tip my hat. um, The way that she switches from happy in my own little bubble, forgetting all my pain, Wanda, in the sitcom to pain ridden, grieving, like you're not supposed to be here, Wanda. Like it, it was, it's like you can watch the change happen. Yeah, she's 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 quite good in that yeah, role. No, one hundred percent. I mean, I I like Elizabeth Olsen in, in in the role anyway, but um, I feel like this is some of her better work. Not that the other work was bad, but like I'm just I'm getting, and it could be just because like there's so many characters in the Avengers, and the Scarlet Witch does not get a ton of screen time, and no. so uh, with this, you're getting to know. Um, you're getting to know them. Um, and I have to imagine that, you know, Olsen and, and Bettany, who plays Vision, um, probably had a blast doing this, you know, to skip from the 50s, the 60s, oh my and the 70s, you know. And the 70s show in particular, I love their house. My God, the design aesthetic of the, of the house in the 70s. And like, the colors. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Like not everything, but like the shapes and the proportions of like that kind of a style of a house in the seventies, I've always thought like, that's just really cool. Cause we didn't have them around here. Um, those are all like more like California and like yeah. one, one level homes, right? No basements sort of deal. So yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to watch. I mean, and I'm, I'm on board. I mean, I will, I will continue. Nice. I will continue on. Um, I will give a quick nod to Kim's convenience season two. 
I have watched it. I have liked it. I would encourage you all to watch it. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying Janet's story a lot more, the daughter. And uh, I am also not enjoying Shannon in the same capacity that I have not enjoyed Shannon. And it's not, it's not the actor's fault. It's just the writing for the character is so forced. It's unfortunate. Um, I, whenever there's a show that focuses on Jung and, and Shannon, I kind of tune out. Um, I much prefer the other stuff. Now, thankfully it's not a main story. It tends to be more of a side thing. They still have some sort of cool, fun, quirky story with, um, Appa and, and Yama. Uh, Mr. And Mrs. Kim and and they're my favorites. I I could watch them bicker slash love one another all day long. It's cute and funny and um, lots of sneak attacks. Like there's all kinds of really cool in jokes with the show. So I'm still really enjoying that. I have to give that another go. I I I tried it a while ago and I I'm trying to remember whether I watched one or two episodes, but I just you know maybe because it was still the beginning of the show, it still felt a little rough around the edges. I think it took me three. Okay. It took me three. And then the first character that you start to get to know in season one is, is Mr. Kim. And once you start to get to know his vibe and get to know how he treats customers and the fact that he's sarcastic, but still a very nice guy, um, that really helps. Um, there's a couple of trailers out too. You can pop onto YouTube and see one minute beat trailers for the characters. So rather than an entire series or season trailer it's like a this is what appa is all about you know and then this is what janet is huh. all about and they're just little one minute character things that you can find on youtube and there's no spoilers there's just a lot of jokey bits and kind of like one-liners and stuff but it definitely gives you a, a good a good um feeling i think the the show's strength is that it gets funnier as you get to know the characters hmm. right because like kimchi for example jung's best friend some of the stuff that he says is just like, what did, what did he mean by that? And he's like, is that like, who wrote that joke? But <laughs> as you, as it gets on, they get better at making them feel like less like writer room jokes and more like right. kimchi jokes, right? It feels more like the history because they start rather than him delivering one-liners, kimchi and jung start to go back and forth and then it feels like jokes from high school like it feels like they've been friends forever which they're supposed to have been and it feels like this joke has been kicked around a lot right and that <laughs> feels better than just kimchi saying something weird and then you're just like i don't understand where that came from it feels more homegrown with with season two so there are some things that that take time uh, but you definitely get more into the characters in season one after like i want to say three or four episodes so they're short they're 20 minutes they're easy to kind of throw on and, and enjoy in the uh, same vein of canadian grown television where my family is watching Shit's creek and i know you're you've been we're less of a fan of that one because it's sort of more of an awkward humor i guess but we're we're finding that we're we quite like that one because it's it's a good comedy of the awkward humor but it has heart to it as well we just finished season one and uh watched the first episode of season two so it's it's um yeah we're we're enjoying that one and probably watch that through its entirety as well so we'll maybe we'll uh compare notes on canadian shows back and forth yeah and could forth. be could be uh yeah. kim's convenience has that heart too that's what drew me in it's okay. not just flat like you you end up caring about the characters which i think is key it's absolutely a, a key to its success oh, yeah. Um, nice. I won't dig into it because I have really have not played that much of them, but I am currently playing battlefield five and destiny two on Xbox game pass. Um, mm -hmm. I've played the first story mission sequence in battlefield 
five and I've played an hour or so of destiny two, just to kind of stretch my legs into the game. These are all things that I have access to on Xbox game pass. So, Hey, why not? Right. It's just, you download them, you install them, you play them. I've been wanting some first person shooter vibes. So I've been doing that on the Xbox and, um, outside of some technical difficulties with destiny two, um, just from a game setting visual standpoint, um, I will just say that the gameplay is fun. It's it's spacey, shootery, and very complicated. I feel like I'm in over my head, but I'm sure that'll pass. Uh, <laughs> however, it's been a long time since I've played a World War II um, first-person shooter. And I enjoyed the first mission in Battlefield Five, but I played the second story mission or part of the second story mission last night. And it's a sneaky kind of like have to sneak into a base and, and find a, a, a covert operative in the snowy mountains in Norway, uh, you're sneaking into a, a Nazi base and <laughs> it is breathtaking. Like there's snow on everything and there's snow in the air and it's midnight and the moon glistens off of stuff. I have never seen a game, like a first person game look this pretty. Like it is, oh, nice. you, you forget that you're playing a video game, playing that particular story. It's unfortunately that Battlefield Five is meant to be like a multiplayer game. Like that's what it is. It's kind of like an arena, you know, squad-based shooter multiplayer thing. I'm not good enough to do that. <laughs> I'm just uh, so I'm just going to play the story missions. But but they look they look fantastic. It's been a really 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 fun experience. Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. If you would like to help support the Sizzle Cafe, uh, that's how we do it. It's because of listeners that we're able to keep the show going. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. Become a member at patreon.com slash the Sizzle Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server. There are multiple roles, levels with different rewards like Bonus episodes, bonus audio. The clip of Megan and I went out last week. It was about a half an hour of us talking about uh, some behind the scenes on the Citadel server. The patron count currently at 20. If you would like to be 21, check out patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. I always like to try to add one more patron a month, and that could be you. My pick this week is extraordinarily Canadian. Schreiber, Ontario man stuns community with unique large-scale snow art. We'll have the link to the article on cbc.ca and retired school principal Kim Asmussen has been using his snowshoes to make geometric masterpieces since last winter. He maps out his designs carefully on Google Maps before heading out into the snow to stomp around. The activity is catching on in his town of Schreiber, Ontario, located about 200 kilometers from Thunder Bay. The dream is to one day have a snowshoe art festival. Uh, I read the headline and I thought, oh, this is probably pretty cool. This is more than just crop circles. Like this is some mm-hmm. um, intricate kaleidoscope circles upon circles and uh, overlap and like lots of geometry and, and math, I think, uh, have gone into these. And the fact that in some ways when I look at them, I kind of wonder, how do, how do you get in there and start? Because there's no, okay. there's no clear like, this is how I got in here and then I made the, then I made the shape. They're just like perfectly there. And so I don't know whether there's been like a cover-up job for like the footprints to get in and out. I'm not sure. Um, but they're really cool. I would imagine to make the circles, he just kind of sticks a pole in the ground with a rope on it with a specific length and then just walks around. Okay, that makes sense. I was just about to say those circles look 
accurate as anything. It's impressive. So I imagine he probably uses the Google Maps thing to figure out like how big the circles have to be in real life. You know, like if, if this design is going to be, you know, 200 meters across or maybe not that big, but like say a hundred meters across, uh, in, in a, in a radius or sorry, in a diameter, then I have to bring ropes of these lengths for each of these circles. And then I can just, you know, or one rope and I just have to remember which, you know, I have to map out what I'm going to do. Um, right. It, it's just, it must be an absolute hoot. Like it just must be a lot of fun to be able to just do this and have the time and be outside. And, um, what a cool thing to do. And I mean, he started before the pandemic, but talk about a cool thing to do during the pandemic when like you're stuck inside, uh, no kidding. especially in Canadian winter where you're normally stuck inside anyway, forget the pandemic. I just thought it was a fun thing to share. Do you have a pick this week, sir? A little uh, less community-based, but uh, something that I've been, thought's been pretty cool for a while, just with the pandemic going on, I, mean, I know it's not always uh, happy for everyone. So a lot of people may have lost their jobs or be on temporary layoff for now. But lynda.com, you can actually get free access to um, their entire library of video courses and tutorials um, through Halifax Public Library. So um, there'll be a link at the bottom as well to the blog post that has it, but essentially you log into lynda.com with your library credentials and you have access to all of that for free. So if there's ever been you know, a skill you wanted to learn or something you want to brush up on, but either never had the time or the money to pay for a subscription, you can actually go learn all this stuff for free. And I don't know all of the libraries across Canada that have this, but I, I did a quick check and um, Toronto has it, Ottawa has it, and couple of libraries at West Habit as well. So just basically do a search for lynda.com and your library name. And if it's a thing, then in my experience, in my research, you'll get a link to a blog post or something that'll, that'll allow you to log in with your library credentials. That's fantastic, man. Like it takes some self-direction. Like I, cause I've, I've done this before with stuff I've had to pay for, you know, like you download a video tutorial from an art site for 10 bucks of an artist that you like doing a thing and yeah. whatever. Uh, I, I find it harder than find the time to sit down and do it, even though I can certainly find the time to play video games. I can find <laughs> the hour to take it or the 45 minutes to watch a lecture, right? Like I'm sure that I could do it. I just have to remember to do it. Um, but I love the fact that sites like lynda.com teaming up with libraries have made this kind mm -hmm. of information accessible because one of the most frustrating things that I remembered as an artist, as a kid, like in my high school years was trying to figure out how the hell professionals did it. Like just, you know, the basics, but there's this gap between, well, I know how to draw a comic strip and I know how to do this, but how do you do the rest of it? How does it go into books? Like, how does it get published? Like all this kind of stuff that I did not know, uh, and learned at a breakneck speed because of the internet, mm -hmm. you know, like once the internet became like readily accessible for me. I was able to learn a lot more about art techniques, about like programs to use, like where to experiment, like what, all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just really cool to see it as part of the public library. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can find information about all the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com, just like Obsidian Clad Fox, and find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. But 
Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. You'd be surprised how far that goes. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. That's also where you can buy the book that I mentioned earlier today. Check out my other podcast all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. Brand new snapshot came out today, so we'll be breaking that down next Monday. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, of course, and I'll point you towards twitch.tv slash joelduggan, where I'm streaming a lot of Minecraft, building the medieval keep and having a blast doing it. Stephen, where can people find you online? Steven ESC on most social media platforms and twitch.tv slash Steven ESC as well, where I've been also streaming a lot of Minecraft and working my way through two projects, working on a giant oak tree and working on the tunnel underneath my spruce tree. Nice. I didn't know about the tunnel, but the oak tree is mm. looking fantastic. Uh, Thank I was, you. Very uh, pleased with it. Lurking the other day and uh, really enjoy the way that it's coming together. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.